and there's so much to say about him. Now, today's passage is not a typical Christmas passage. It's not just in Jesus, the Messiah, being born, but what he has come to do. And this passage magnificently to help us. and you alone by your spirit and open our eyes and soften that we may hear your voice in this passage that we may hear you speak to us we may hear uh, your truth that you implanted deep into our hearts that we may be shaped and transformed by its truth we pray that you will help us live in the light of this truth to your glory and our blessing, we pray. Amen. So you will see three points in the bulletin. And the first is clean and unclean. Because in verses 1 to 4, Mark gives us the, the background of what's happening there. And the even further background to what Mark tells us in verse 1 to 4 is that in the Old Testament... Uh, in the book of Leviticus especially, there were all these laws that specified what to do if you were to remain clean. And what would happen if you touch something like a dead body or you know, this type of animal, you would become ceremonially unclean. And for different sorts of uh, uncleanness, you would be unclean for a specific number of days. And during that period of time, you have no access uh, to God, you cannot go to the temple, you cannot bring your sacrifices during that period because you have been made unclean. Only after that time and maybe after the certain washing or offering of things, then you become clean again. But then, you may bump into, uh, you know, mildew on your house and then, bah, you become unclean again. So, the point is, why did God have all these laws about what was clean, what was unclean? Now, the purpose is to drill, okay, really drill into his people's minds that there is the reality of spiritual cleanness, spiritual uncleanness. And so, in the world that they live, it's not just, you know, what I do, what's in my heart, but everything, the whole world is divided into what's clean, what's unclean. And this is to highlight the reality and the need for spiritual purity. Okay, that was the purpose of uh, those Old Testament laws. Now, Mark, with that background, tells us how the people in Jesus' days was uh, keeping the laws. So let's read verse 1 to 4. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. Now, when we read this, uh, you must not think, the Pharisees are right. Of course they are right. I mean, germs, bacteria, you know, the disciples, you mean they didn't wash their hands, they didn't use wet wipe, you know? Ayo, you know, all the mothers would cringe, right? Okay, but in that time, there would be no concept of germs. Okay, there's no concept of bacteria, okay? There's no, they, 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 didn't, they didn't understand these things. So when the Pharisees question 
the disciples about not washing their hands. It was about ceremonial cleansing. Okay? Let's read on. Verse 3 explains, The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Now, do you see what Mark is telling us? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law have gone beyond Scripture. Because while Scripture talks about this is clean, this is unclean, never in Scripture does it say, every time you eat, you must do the ceremonial washing of your hands. That is the Pharisees going beyond Scripture. And what they've done is they they wanted to put a fence around the cleanliness laws so that they make sure they don't break the law by having other laws around it. And one of the laws was cleaning the hands. So you can sort of understand why they did that, right? They wanted to be clean before God. They wanted to really safeguard the cleanliness laws. They wanted to go above and beyond so that they can be really sure they have kept the law and thus were clean before God. And so the Pharisees, these teachers of the law, in their zeal to present themselves clean, they started judging other people. And so in this case, they were judging the disciples, hey, how come you haven't washed your hands before you eat? That's ceremonially unclean. You're making yourself unclean. Well, this brings us to the next point. Verses 5 to 18, uh, cleansing from the outside. Cleansing from the outside. Now, this is essentially what Jesus says about the efforts. It's just external. What you're doing is just affecting the outside. Now, before he makes that point, he has something to say about their going above and beyond Scripture. Look with me to verse 6. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. So you see, outwardly, everything seems well. They are honouring God with their lips. They are saying all the right things. But inwardly, there is a problem. Their hearts are far from God. And the evidence that their hearts are far from God is verse 7. They worship God in vain. Their teaching is man-made. It's just rules taught by man. It's not God's word. And so, verse 8, Jesus says, You have let go of the word of God because you have held on to the traditions of men. And this point, Jesus continues to emphasize in verse 9. Look at verse 9. He says, You have set aside the commands of God. How? By observing the traditions of men. And verse 13, you have nullified the word of God by keeping to what the elders handed down. So you see, the point Jesus is making is very simple. Whenever you hold on to human teaching, 
what will result is a letting go of God's word. It is never neutral. Now, verse 10 to 12, Jesus gives an example of uh, what he means. Uh, but I don't think we have time to explore it. The, the point he's making is simple. But what's hard is applying that to our lives today. It's easy to look at them in their time. Ah, you see, you see, they've gone beyond scripture. They've held on to this uh, human tradition of washing hands. But what has resulted is the letting go of God's word. But what about us today? It's harder to spot it when uh, we're applying this to ourselves. So maybe we will apply to some other churches and then try and move inwards to us. Well, how do some other churches uh, maybe hold on to the traditions of man and resulting in the letting go of God's word? Well, maybe some places in how they insist there's only one and only one correct version of the Bible to use. And that, you know, all other versions of the Bible are inferior, and there's only one which everyone must use. It's good if that version is actually, you know, really, really much better than everything else. But what if it's not? What if it's in a language and uh, in a, in a spoken in English that is not used today, then by insisting on that version, people whose English ability is not that good will be forced to use only that version, but they will not be getting out of the Word of God as much as they would have if it was in a version, in, in a, in a, written in a way that they would be easier for them to understand. So, what has happened? By holding on to this tradition of only using this version, it has resulted in the impairment of people actually understanding what the Word of God is saying for themselves. Another example could be the insistence that only ordained ministers perform the Lord's Supper. Now, you can agree with me that there's nowhere in the Bible that actually gives an explicit command that only ordained ministers can serve the Lord's Supper. And so what happens is, uh, I know of churches where for you know, a great period of time, because of various reasons, they do not have an ordained minister uh, serving them. So what results? So for this whole period of time, for months and sometimes over a year, they do not celebrate the Lord's Supper. Why? Why? Something that Jesus said, you know, do this as often as you can. They do not do because they're holding on to this tradition that says only ordained ministers can serve the Lord's Supper. Someone who's not ordained, you know, like me, can come, can preach. You know, people must listen. But cannot serve the Lord's Supper. And so churches in that, in that situation go for months disobeying the Lord Jesus when He says, do this as often as you can. So that's the first point Jesus makes. Their zeal to present themselves clean before the Lord. Introduce man-made religion, which led to the letting go of God's word. Now the second point that Jesus makes to them is this. We said already, 
this cleansing, their, their attempts to cleanse themselves is just from the outside. It only affects the outside. It doesn't work anyway. So he explains in verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. And verse 18, Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. So you see, there's no point worrying about whether the utensils or whether your hands are ceremonially unclean or whether the food you're eating is unclean or not because... Okay, this is a poem I learned. Okay. Yam, tam, bam. Okay, that is the shortest poem I learned. And, and that's essentially what Jesus is saying. You know, what goes into your mouth goes to your tummy and then bum, right? So, you know, it doesn't affect your heart. So, at this point, Mark adds a comment. At the end of verse 19, he says, In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now, we'll, we'll come back to this. But it's quite clear, right, the point that Jesus is making. External measures do not work. Because what we need is point three. A cleansing from the inside. A cleansing from the inside. Verse 20 to 23. Now because the problem is an eternal one, the heart of the problem is a problem of the human heart. Jesus says in verse 20, He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of man's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. And so, in that list, which is not exhaustive, that list condemns us all. Right? No one of us here can look at the list and say, Oh, innocent. It's not me. No, no, it's not me. Other people, yes, but not. No, that list condemns us all. And so, of course, if this is the problem, no amount of external cleansing can solve that problem. And because we all have this problem, all of us are spiritually unclean before God. And there is nothing, nothing that you or I can do about it. I Me, mean, what can you do? You know, go more regularly to Bible study? You know, serve in church more? Give more money to missions? All these things cannot solve the problem. Right? All these things are just external. It just affects the outside. It will not deal with the heart problem. So what's the solution? What's the solution? Now it looks as if this passage 
only talks about the problem, right? The problem, ah, you all have held on to human tradition, you let go of God's word, you know, the problem is, you know, it's not what goes into you, you know, it's what comes out of your heart. You know, it only talks about the problem. It doesn't seem to tell us the solution. But there is, in fact, a hint. There is a great hint to what the solution is. And there it is, we can see in verse 19. Verse 19, the end of verse 19. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now, what's happening here is that Mark, in writing his gospel, is telling us what happened, the conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. And at this point in verse 19, he has added his editorial comment. He has added his interpretive comment. Okay, now, very rarely does Mark do this. And so when he does this, it is very significant. Right? So he tells the story, and then at this point, he adds his own comment as the writer. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now, first notice, it does not say, Mark does not say, Jesus observed. Eh? Jesus goes, eh? Ooh. Oh, all foods are clean, actually. Oh, now, you know, with this new scientific research, actually, pigs can be eaten. You know, the Chinese were right, you know. No, Mark doesn't do that. Mark doesn't say, Jesus reasoned. You know, he applied his logic, and then, okay, if this and this, ah, okay, I think all foods must be clean. No, no, it doesn't say that. Mark actually says, Jesus declared, or if you like, Jesus pronounced. Now, when do we use the word pronounced? You know, the last time I heard the word pronounced was when Andrew Ong uh, stood before... Now, who was the latest wedding? Was it Nick and Calissa? I don't know, okay? Uh, you know, before they were not married, but by the power invested in him, he pronounced them man and wife, and they became man and wife. And, you know, so they remain till today, and hopefully, you know, for much longer. You know, there is something about the word pronounced. It makes something that was not the case previously to be now true. So that's what Jesus... Previously, yes, these foods were clean. These foods were unclean. But now, Jesus pronounced. He declared them clean. But wait a minute. Didn't Jesus just scold the Pharisees Hiya, you have not you have not kept the word of God. You know, you have let go of the word of God and, and you held on to human tradition. Isn't Jesus now, you know, like dismissing the word of God by saying, Yes, Leviticus says clean, unclean, but now, you know, forget it. Everything is clean. You know, is, is he doing what he has scolded the Pharisees? No, he's not. Because remember. Remember the purpose of the cleanliness laws in the first place. The cleanliness laws was to point to the reality and the need for spiritual cleansing. Spiritual purity. And so Jesus, in declaring all foods clean, He is declaring that the cleanliness laws have been fulfilled. See, that's why we don't have to follow them anymore. Because they have been fulfilled. 
But how could they be fulfilled? Now, in the commentary that I used uh, from Tim Keller, he writes about one of his old professors called uh, Raymond Dillard, whose uh, you know, Old Testament survey I've used. And Raymond Dillard, a long time ago, uh, during chapel, uh, preached a sermon on Zechariah 3. And uh, that's the responsive reading that we read. And in that vision, uh, it is a vision of the current high priest. Uh, Ping will show up for us. The current high priest, Joshua, and he's standing in the presence of God. Okay? And uh, it's represented by the angel. And Joshua is in the most holy place. And most likely, the vision that Zechariah is shown is on the Day of Atonement. Because only on the Day of Atonement is the high priest allowed to go into the presence of God, symbolized by the most holy place. And so, Zechariah is being given a vision of the current high priest, who is called Joshua, on the Day of Atonement, in the most holy place, in the presence of God. Now, Raymond Dillard explains the uh, preparations that needed to take place for the Day of Atonement. So, if you looked at, uh, you know, just what the Bible says, Leviticus 16, you know, this and that, you would not have a lot of information about what the Jews did regarding Day of Atonement. But there are all these uh, extra-biblical Jewish writings, uh, which scholars have read, and now they tell us that what the Jews did was for the high priest one week before the Day of Atonement. Now, the Day of Atonement is the, is the most important. It is the biggest gig in the Jewish calendar year. Because that is the day when the high priest, representing all the people, goes into the most holy place and offers a sacrifice for all the people. Okay? It is the biggest gig of the year. And so, one week before... The, the high priest is taken from his home and he's housed in an apartment near the temple. Now, why does that happen? So that when he's going to the market, you know, three days before the Day of Atonement, he doesn't accidentally bump into something unclean. And then if he becomes unclean, you know, uh, for one week, then as high priest he can't perform the rituals for the Day of Atonement. And so, you know, to really play it safe, they lock him up. They isolate him. You know, keep him away from, you know, there are things unclean. I know various animals and corpses, this and that. And on the night before the Day of Atonement, the high priest would stay up all night. And the other priests would minister to him. They would pray with him. They would read scripture together. And on the day itself, the high priest would take a total of five baths. And, you know, each bath is meant to symbolize something. And after each bath, he would put on white linen. Now, some of these baths were actually done in public. You know, because throughout the day, he takes five baths. You know, the first one maybe he takes in his own apartment. But during the day, some of these baths is done in public. And, and all the people are gathered there watching. Now, it's not because they are chikope or whatever like that. But because... For the people, this is their representative. This is the guy who's representing them, representing them, and they want to make sure everything is done properly. 
so that the high priest is as pure and as cleansed as possible so that he can rightly represent them before God and, and you know, do all the rituals and procedures properly. So, they are, they, are, they are watching and they are cheering him on. Yes, 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 good, good. You know, yes, that's right, that's right. So, in one sense, the people wouldn't do anything. All they would do was just watch what their representative did and cheer him on. And so, with this background, we can understand why it was so shocking the, the prophecy, the vision that Zechariah saw in Zechariah 3. Because Joshua, the high priest, his garments were filthy. Now, the Hebrew is actually a lot stronger. It actually says that the high priest's garments were covered with human excrement. And so the question is, how? How could this have happened that the Israelites would never have allowed their representative, their high priest, to appear before God this way? And Satan is there, you know, ready to accuse, ready to accuse the high priest. You are not worthy, you are not worthy to offer this sacrifice. So how could this have happened? And Raymond Dillard's answer is, this is a vision. This is a vision to show us how God actually sees us. And the high priest is our representative, which means he's representing all the people. This is how God not only sees the high priest, but how he sees all the people of God. This, they, they, are, they are coming before him with filthy garments. And so in spite of all our efforts to be pure, to be clean, God sees and God knows our hearts. But in that vision, Satan is rebuked. He doesn't even have a chance to speak. And the angel says in verse 4, Take off his filthy clothes. See, I've taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. What's happening here? Well, Raymond Dillard says, God is showing through this vision that one day the cleanliness laws would be fulfilled. There would be true spiritual purity for the people of God. And how did it happen? Well, centuries later, there would be another Joshua who showed up. Now, the name Joshua is just a variant of the word of the name Jesus. And this Jesus prepared for his own day of atonement. A week before, he, instead of being protected from death and cleanness, he began to predict to his disciples that he would die. And the night before, he also did not go to sleep. But instead of having people around him to pray with him, his disciples fell asleep, left him alone. And instead of being cheered on by the people, he was betrayed, he was mocked, he was insulted, he was beaten. And instead of being dressed in fine linen, he was stripped of whatever garment he was wearing. And Raymond Dillard says he was bathed too. 
bathed in human spit. Friends, this is why Jesus can declare all foods clean. Because the law has been fulfilled. Because as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this cleansing from the inside has taken place. We have now been given a new heart and a new spirit because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. So what does this mean for us? Well, if you are here and you do not at this moment believe in Christ, you're not a Christian, you do not trust in Jesus, can I ask you to reflect? Are there moments when you are aware of a deep sense of guilt, of shame, that somehow there is this sense of being unclean? Do you hear what the Bible, what God is saying to you? That there has been one who has been sent to deal with your uncleanness. That by his bearing of your uncleanness on himself, he has made you clean. And all you need to do to receive that is to trust in him. Trust in who he is. Trust in what he's done for you. Now, it's not just non-Christians who have that sense of uncleanness. Sometimes even for those who have come to trust in Jesus, we too can have that sense of uncleanness, that sense of shame and guilt. Maybe there are some of you here who feel you don't belong here. You think to yourself, I'm a hypocrite. I keep coming here, but I don't really belong. I, I should not be here. There is this uncleanness that you're struggling with. Or there may be others of us here who think that because of your external cleansing, you've actually done something to cleanse yourself. But I say to you, it is as good as having leprosy and then the symptoms of white patches appear. And then you do you know, external things to cover it up, to wash it away. And you think that you've solved the problem. But whether you are a Christian who is struggling with a sense of uncleanness, or whether you are the Christian who is feeling proud because you think that your, your works, your performance, your good deeds have cleansed you. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon had to say. He makes the point that it is Satan. It is only Satan who wants us to look at ourselves. To look at, you know, uh, whether it's our failures or look at our, our successes. Only Satan wants us to look at ourselves. But God, the Holy Spirit, what He wants is to cause us to look at Jesus. Because if we look at ourselves, we will see failures or we will be 
are self-righteous because we think these are the things we've done to cleanse ourselves. But only in seeing, only in looking at Jesus do we see the solution God has provided for our uncleanness. Spurgeon continues. He says, Remember, it is not your whole of Christ that saves you. It is Christ that saves you. It is not your joy in Christ that saves you. It is Christ that saves you. It is not the things that you do for Christ that saves you. It is Christ that saves you. It is not even your faith in Christ that saves you. Yes, that is the instrument by which we receive salvation. But salvation was achieved by what Christ has done. So look to Him. Look to Him. And when you look to Christ, you see. You see what God is truly like. That this is not a God who says, "Ah, these are my standards. All of you, huh? jump through these hoops. Huh? Okay? And if you manage to jump through, okay, I'll reward you. You manage to reach my standards, I'll reward you. If, if this is your view of God, and now be honest, some of us, whether we say it blatantly or not, this is how we think what God is like. If I manage to do this, yes, God will bless me, God will reward me. When I fail, oh, I fail again. He's turned his face from me. If this is what your view of God is like, then of course, of course you don't love him. Of course you don't delight in him. But if with the Holy Spirit's help you look at Jesus and you see that it is God who has done it all for you. It is God who has sent His Son and it is Son who has borne our sin, borne our penalty, borne the wrath for us. It is God in Christ who has done it all. Then you see the deep love and grace of who this God is. And then we can love Him. We can delight in Him. Because this God in Christ has saved us and He wants to embrace us as our gracious Heavenly Father. In fact, it is only when Christians see God rightly, have that right view of God, love Him because we know He has first loved us. That evangelism, that talking about God, pointing to Christ becomes something that is joyful, that is natural. If evangelism is something that, ah, yeah, God tells me I must do it, I don't really want to, I don't really feel like it, but in order to be blessed by God, I must do it, and so I do it, and it becomes awkward, it becomes, you're not a very good evangelist. But when you know how good this God is, when you know for yourself this is how much this God loves you, then evangelism becomes a joy. And so I want to encourage us this Christmas period. Plenty of opportunities to point to baby Jesus who grew up 
so that he could prepare, stage his own day of atonement. So that we, who, we who from our hearts sprout all these things, can have the confidence of being spiritually clean before God. Look, look at Jesus, not at yourself. Point others to Him. May God help us.